Bible, join me in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 this morning. When we come to Acts chapter 10, we come to a passage in Scripture that helps us understand the definition and the characteristics excuse me, of a soldier in the days of Scripture. Every generation has soldiers. And those soldiers manifest certain character traits. And I think some of those are universal through every generation. But it is true that you have to speak to soldiers of a generation to understand exactly what it was like. It would be true that those from, say, World War I, World War II had a different worldview mindset, even going off to battle than someone today. If you don't think that's true, just look at the commercials today that are used to recruit soldiers. And the mindset is extremely different than what it would have been 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So we want to look in Scripture and we want to see how Scripture defines a soldier. And the reason we want to do that is because here on Veterans Day, we pause to remember those who have helped our nation. But as we pause to remember them, I want us to be called into remembrance of the mindset of a soldier because Paul in Scripture admonishes us that as Christians we are to live that way. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul recognized that in this life, as he stated in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So Paul recognized that whether we admit it, whether we acknowledge it, whether we sense the reality of it, that there is a spiritual battle taking place. In fact, he admonished all believers to put on the spiritual armor to prepare for the battles of life, spiritually speaking. So he then admonishes us as believers, those who believe in God, to take your life, and if you're going to have a life that is typified as someone who follows God, there's a battle that's taking place behind the scenes and you need to be ready for it. So... We look then in scripture to see some of the characteristics that we should have as Paul admonishes us to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we jump in here into Acts chapter 10 verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now in the New Testament we know about several different centurions. Uh, We see that there was a centurion who had a servant who died and he came to Christ for healing. We see the centurion who was there at the cross when Jesus was dying on the cross. He said, surely this is the son of God. There were centurions who were assigned to Paul to guard him, to protect him. And they would give him liberty for people to come and to talk to him. There was Julius. He was the centurion in charge of a ship that the Apostle Paul was on and the ship was traveling and there was great danger coming to the ship and Paul warned Julius about this and he was a good man who spared Paul's life when everyone on the crew wanted to kill all of the criminals at the time. Then we come here to Acts 10 to Cornelius. Cornelius, it tells us in verse 2, was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, 
which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Oftentimes, when you begin to think of soldiers, there is a harshness that we give to those who have served in military. And one of the reasons we have that harshness in our mind is because of the battles that these individuals face. Now, you go back even into this day and age, and for many, when they would go into service and they would serve in the military there for Rome, it was a hand-to-hand combat military. It was not as if they went in and they were long-distance fighting. These were tough, tough individuals. And between scripture and history, we learn a lot about centurions. Did you know that in order to be a centurion, a man had to have been battle-hardened in order to even come and rise to the place of centurion? He had to have at least 16 years of active duty... And he had to be involved in many different campaigns of battle and distinguish himself because of his valor. There was no political appointments to the rank of centurion. In order to be a centurion, other soldiers had to recognize you as a battle-ready soldier. Most Roman battles were those of attrition. Of the tens of thousands who went off to war, barely a third would return. And often far fewer than even that. There would have been thousands of miles marched during any centurion's life of service. In order to be a centurion, you had to be able to carry 90 pounds of equipment at least 20 miles per day. And you had to train under the harshest of conditions. The centurion, even though he was in military service, had to provide his own equipment, his own armor. He had to pay even for his own tools and weapons that he needed to fight. He had to be a skilled engineer capable of building bridges and other types of attack equipment. He had to be able to build parapets, large uh, ladders to put up against walls. He had to be able to build equipment that would break down gates. Once you had done your 16 years, once you had proven yourself in combat, once you had survived... When it came time to the appointment of centurion, other soldiers would recognize, would call on you to be a centurion. And at that moment, you had to agree to enlist for another 25 years. At the end of that enlistment, there was a plot of land that would be given and a cash payment. That was as long as there was money in the treasury to actually pay them. At the end of his days, the centurion understood that his reward was not in the great value of his land because it was generally just a small piece, nor in the few coins that the treasury would dole out, but in the knowledge and legacy he left behind to those who would follow. To rise to a centurion was considered the highest honor a legionnaire, or we would call it an enlisted man, could rise to. His life expectancy was in certain danger, and the centurion always, always led his troops into battle from the front. All centurions, when they got appointed the position, would have to put money into a fund to cover the cost of their burial. The centurion held ultimate sway over the welfare of every man who served in his hundred-man century. So as the centurion would lead, he had bid in battle. He had fought under someone who was his centurion. 
He had committed the next 25 years of his life to it. And then he took on the ultimate care of all of those underneath him. Here was a man of great physical ability, great mental ability, and of great leadership skills. He was recognized, he was followed. And when we begin to look at Cornelius, we see in him not just a great soldier, but we see how these characteristics of his life came into every aspect of his life. The first thing we see about him is that he was a man of great faith. You look there in verse 2 and it says, A devout man, one that feared God with all his house. Now to us, we look at that and that doesn't stand out. That doesn't jump off the page. But in a pagan culture like Rome, in an environment where they did not recognize God, there would have been a multiplicity of gods. Many in the military would have carried around little gods in a pouch that they would set out and burn incense to and worship. Here was a man who said, in all that I have done, in all that I have come across, in all of my travels and all of my battles, I recognize that there is a God in heaven. And he is the God that the Jews stand for. And he is devout in believing in Jehovah God. He was a man that with this devout nature, he had a natural fear for God. Look there in verse 2. He feared God with all his house. And he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He did not have to do this. Many times soldiers in that day... We're very domineering. It's why Christ talked about if a soldier comes to you and says, carry my armor for a mile, you carry it for the mile, and then you carry it a second mile, you, you go further. Because soldiers were known to take advantage. Soldiers were known to put this weight on people. Here was a man who said, I'm not going to overburden. In fact, I'm going to give of what I have. He feared God. He had a healthy respect for God. In large part because he had a respect for authority. I would imagine, and, and not having served in the military, most of this would come from just input I've had from others. But there was a day when in the military, when your commanding officer told you to do something, there was not a lot of questioning of that order. Today, I, I imagine there's a little more issue with that in the military. Because it's true in the job environment, it's in, true in schools, there is now a younger generation that does not have that respect for authority. And I would argue I'm in the middle of those two. I, I don't believe that my generation had the respect for authority that the generations before me did. Here was a soldier who had absolute respect for authority. And so he brings that respect into his home. He teaches it to his family. And he now has a family that fears God. You see, a soldier has fear in his commander to punish wrong, but faith in him to lead him to victory. So as a soldier, this centurion, Cornelius, recognized, this man is going to lead me to victory. The very fact that he was still alive proved that his centurion had done a good job. And here he says, I believe he can lead me to the victory I need to obtain to. But he was also fearful because the centurion was responsible for everyone under him. And if they disobeyed, if they ran away, they knew the punishment that could come. For you and I, 
if we are to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we are to live in a place of faith, doing what we know to do and trusting God with the outcome, recognizing that God has a plan that is perfect for our life, saying, God, I don't understand. I, I, I don't. I am sure there are times that any soldier follows his commanding officer into battle and goes, I don't understand. This centurion says, you know what, I'm going to follow my centurion and now I'm going to lead from the front. I'm going to lead the way and I'm going to expect my men to trust me because I want to see them in victory. When we follow the Lord, the, the Lord wants so much more for you and I than we want for ourselves. Don't be naive. That doesn't mean that God wants safety for every single one of us. That's not it. Sometimes God wants difficulty for us. Because it will help either make us more like him, or it will bring greater glory to his name. I'm okay with either. But you have to recognize that I trust the one who is leading me. And have that faith to trust in God. But we also see in that same verse that here was a man who was a great man of family. He was a man who recognized that yes, he was devout and he had a house that followed with him. His house was willing to see everything that he had done and to recognize the same God that he had. Sadly, today, the occupations that are hardest on the family, career-wise, tend to be military and police. And those two occupations make it so difficult for families. And it shouldn't be the case. And here was a man who said, in my family, we are going to work to make sure that all of my family sees God the same way I see God. It may be that I have to go risk my life on a regular occasion, but I want my family to see God. He led his home first. He was determined that they would follow. There is nothing in this world that I can bring to heaven with me except people. Of those people, my family is the dearest. A good soldier protects his family from spending eternity without God and from the dangers of the world. If I knew that someone were coming to attack my house, there would be a surprise waiting for them when they got there. And a good soldier recognizes the value of his family and protects them first. And that's not just physical. There is a spiritual protection that he recognizes he needed to protect them from. And we'll come back to this in just a little bit. He gave alms of all that he had to the people around him. This was not something he was required to do. You see, here was a man who was a giving individual. He gave much alms to the people. He recognized that his life was a life of service, not just in going to battle. One of the dangers that you create in your own heart is when you give your life to serve in an environment like the military, there then becomes an entitlement and I deserve when I come back mindset. When you give your life to service, you are giving your life to service. In whatever area of life that is, here was a man who recognized this. He said, look, I am giving, I risk my life regularly for my people. But he didn't see that as enough. He still gave out of all that he had. 
And you're going, well, people should have been given to him. And that's true. But he recognized that God has given me abilities, both in battle and financially, to help. And he used what God had blessed him with for all around him. We have to recognize that God has blessed us with skills and talents and abilities. And we should not just use those to provide for a living. We should use what God has given us to help all that we come into contact with. And that doesn't always mean just financially. That means in being a help and a blessing to people in ways that God has gifted us. If you are a great teacher, then don't just teach for a living. Teach young people about God. If you are great at building, don't just build for a living. Build for God's glory. Help. This man recognized it and he was giving of his time. This is a great statement. I want you to think about it for just a minute. The effort of serving God is the same effort for winning battles. He took his desire to win battles for his country and he put it into serving God. Here's how most Christians today look at it. I got to put all of this effort into surviving. Okay, let's be honest. In America, we don't live a survival life, all right? Our, our life is much easier than that. We, I got to put all this effort into survival. And then, well, I'll, I'll put a little effort into serving God. If you truly believe what Paul said, that there is a spiritual battle, then why not put the same effort into the spiritual battle as you do the earthly battle of life? The centurion was an active man. You look down there at verse 5. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now to give you a little context here, Cornelius gets a vision from God about one who can tell him more about God. So he says, wait, the, the Lord showed me this. Let me do something about this. And he says, hey guys, and he calls in two of his men. He says, go, you need to go to Joppa and you need to find this Simon. He's in the Tanner's house. You need to go find him and you need to bring him here because he needs to tell us more about God. There's something we need to learn from him. Well, at the same time this is happening, and you see this in the verses here, verse 7, uh, really through down to verse 16. At this time, Simon Peter is there, and God gives him a vision and helps him to understand that the message of Jesus Christ is both for Jew and Gentile, because this was a whole new time in church history. And so Simon's going, but God, I'm supposed to tell the Gentiles about you because they don't believe in you. He's going, no, there are some that believe in me, and you need to tell them about Jesus. At the same time God is revealing this to Simon Peter, he's revealed this to the centurion. And so now the centurion says, men, look, God has shown this to me, go. His men had to be thinking, what do you mean God showed this to you? But they obey and they go and they go and they find Peter. Verse 17, now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision that he had seen... Which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, were lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am whom ye seek. What is the cause? Wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. 
was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So the next day, Peter gets up and he goes with the men and he goes there to Cornelius' house. And he begins to preach the gospel to them, to help them understand. But here was a man in Cornelius who said, look, I'm getting after this. I know there's something important out there. God has shown this to me and I'm not going to sit idly by. I wonder how different the world would be today if those who believed in God, who believed in the Bible, who knew what they were supposed to do with their life, just did what they were supposed to do. Just actively did it. How different the world would be compared to knowing it and doing nothing about it. The centurion recognized no battle is won by sitting idly by. And too often we know what God would have us to do. Sometimes in small ways, helping a neighbor out. Sometimes in great big ways. But we know what God would have us to do and we just sit by. Centurion said, no, there's a spiritual battle here. There's something that I need and there's something my family needs and God has shown this to me. I am going to get this. And he sends these men and he brings Peter back to him. When Peter comes back, you see in verse 27. As he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Here we see that this man was really an ambassador for God. He was a representative for God among his people. He had been good to the Jews because he recognized Jehovah. But he knew there were other Gentiles. There were other men under his command. There were other people he had given alms to. He says, there's more to the story that you need to know about God. And he brings them together to his house. Because he knew this vision that he had from God was greater than himself. He goes and he begins to ask them and he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And this is Peter talking to Cornelius. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore, for what intent have ye sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thy alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Simon, verse 33, immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And he goes on to preach Jesus Christ. Cornelius was so convinced of the message that God had given him, of the truth that there is a God and he wanted everyone to know about it. A soldier convinces people of the greatness of his cause. And so he brings these people in. And he's got them ready to hear the gospel when Peter shows up. It's amazing how much we will try to convince people of things that aren't important. I can try to convince you my team's the best in whatever sport. You can try to convince me your team is. I can try to convince you that if you take this vitamin, man, you'll be so much better. I can try to convince you that this program right here will make a difference. And people will get on something 
that will try to convince others that this is the answer. But a good thing is that his cause for Jesus Christ is great. And that's what he needs to convince people of. As you go through the passage, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Ghost with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So he goes on to preach this message and then you come there to verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as us? Those that were listening, they accepted Jesus Christ. They accepted the testimony. And Peter says, if you guys are believers in Christ, then let's make this public. Let's get a baptismal service right here. At that moment, Cornelius goes from a devout man, a believer in God, a great soldier, to a son. And when he becomes a son, everything is different. In this passage, we know deeper doctrinally speaking, that Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit. How much different was he after that moment? Now that he has the power of God working through him. And now he fights for a different cause. You see, what soldier is greater than the one that fights for his family? When you recognize that the object that you are protecting is the object that is most dear to you. That which you are trying to advance is that that you love most. The soldier who is a son fights differently. Paul knew that. And you and I need to recognize that today. If you have come to the place in your life where you say, not only do I believe that there's a God, but I trust in Jesus Christ. I know that God sent Jesus to die for me, that his blood on the cross paid for my sin. And because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I know I'm on my way to heaven. The battle's not over. There's still a cause that's great. And now the cause is your family. The cause is your spiritual life. The cause is Jesus Christ. And that soldier doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this life. Because he chooses to please the one who has chosen him to be a soldier. I am grateful for those who have served in our country. I am more grateful for those who are proud of their service for our country. I am grateful for those who at times of war who have gone, and for those who are willing to go, though it was never required of them. I am grateful so much for those who said, my country is more dear to me than my life. And so the question I ask today, is the cause of Christ more dear to you than your life? I listened to a pastor and he said, we as believers have got to recognize that we need a wartime mentality spiritually. Because though everything looks good for our safety, spiritually there is a war that we're losing. And we're losing the war in faith. We're losing the war in our families. We're losing the war because we've not been active. 
and there's a challenge here before us today. Are you willing to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ? You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At hbcga.org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.